Tonight, the talk is about change and the equanimity that we can bring to it. So here in our practice, we're noticing, hopefully more and more, each day, moment by moment, how the practice of awareness allows us to open to change. This bare attention practice that we do allows us to open to many different very diverse experiences in the body and in the mind. Moments of sweet tranquility may dissolve or morph into something like very difficult sensations in the body or also intense pain in the heart, heart pain, that kind of pain. Fear, unbearable fear, anger, sadness, grief, And then maybe again, back into some kind of serenity and calm. And before we know it, we're back in dukkha land, in a very hard place again. And so we begin to open over and over again, knowing what this moment's experience is, without overlaying any concept onto it, any judgment onto it, just simply experiencing it with bare attention moment to moment to moment. Our ability to do this has far-reaching implications. There is this recognition, there is this deep acceptance. This is the way it is. This river of life that flows through us. This river of life brings fear, it brings anger, it brings compassion, sometimes a sense of okayness then maybe blame, maybe the blame because we can't hold it all alone, then sadness again. There are these eight vicissitudes of life, gain and loss, praise and blame, fame and disrepute, joy and sorrow. And we begin to see these ups and downs of life, this roller coaster of life, We see this in our hearts. And through the opening to it, we develop this place of bigness, this place of spaciousness more and more, this place of caring, compassionate attention. And we see this, these ups and downs of life, we come to see this is not, of course, just happening to me. This is how it is in the world. And as we go through this moment by moment, day by day, in an ever-deepening way through our practice, through the years, we begin to trust our ability. We begin to trust our ability to open, to experience the changing up and down roller coaster nature of life. It's hard in the beginning, of course. It's hard. It can be challenging at different times in practice, even when we've had a lot of practice behind us. When challenging conditions come, no matter how much practice we've had behind us, it's still hard. I can say this from my own experience. When we're not caught in reactivity to what's happening within us, when we're not feeling a moment of anger and then reacting to that anger, when we're not feeling a moment of sadness and then reacting to that sadness, it's like 
adding another layer to it, when we can just see it with bare attention, it's easier to just see it come, see it go. It's easier to let go. We see that everything is letting go of itself. It's not a willful act. We're able to let go into the next moment, to be fluid in our practice. Through that direct experience, opening to how things are, moment to moment, we begin to see the truth of this incredible changing nature of everything on a microscopic level. Not just that the seasons change or in the morning it's cold or the afternoon it's hot and then it gets cool again, but that moment to moment everything changes. It opens us to a kind of wisdom that we can't open to in a conceptual way, in a theoretical way, in an intellectual way. Because we can open to the incredible micro-changing nature of everything, because of that, we are able to open to the truth of the vulnerability of life. Nothing ever stays the same. What can we hold on to? Nothing. It's hard to understand that, to really get that. Opening to that dukkha nature that Steve spoke about the other night. It's really hard to open to that. But by opening moment to moment to this river of change that we are, we come to be able to open to that vulnerability of life. It's a powerful thing. It's a sacred initiation that we're going through here. This kind of respect and allowance that we have for each other to go through our own sacred experience. Through this experience, through this journey that each of us are taking, a powerful ally, a very powerful ally is equanimity. Equanimity allows us to experience, to open to the vulnerability of life, to open to the changing nature, which is this vulnerability of life, in a very truthful way, without closing down, because it's, uh, it's too much or too hard, without striking out, but simply to be with it in a very steady way, to be able to observe with bare attention. I have, um, as many of you know, I have children, four children, and I have some grandchildren too. And through my motherhood and grandmotherhood with them, there have been many times when they've acted out and been really emotionally distressed and difficult to deal with. But the steady attention with them, that ability to say, to stay right next to it and say, it's okay, you can go through this. I'm with you. I'm with you. And that's kind of like how bare attention with equanimity is. This ability to contain it, to hold it, and to say, it's okay. To be steady with what's going on. Not reactive. 
there were many times when my children were in great difficulty or emotionally just out of hand when I wanted to say, I want my mom too, you know. <laughs> Get me out of here. <laughs> but I just couldn't do that. When equanimity is present with that vulnerability, there's a seed of tremendous strength contained within that vulnerability. That seed of strength allows us, for example, in our metta practice, to be able to say, yes, I care about you. I wish you well, safety, good health. I wish you happiness and peace. And because I know of the vulnerability of life, I know things may change, and you won't always have safety. You won't always have good health. You won't always have happiness. You won't always have peace. But I still wish that for you. This is the, the feeling sense of equanimity, is to be able to open to that vulnerability of life, to the changing nature of life, which includes all of the ups and downs of life, and say, I care about you so much, I'll do everything I can, and I know that it'll change. And sometimes it'll be up, and sometimes it'll be down, but there's this steadiness and this bigness of heart and mind that can remain beside you. I've had a an opportunity to realize this just recently, in, in just the recent days and, and the recent week, a close family member of mine going through a very difficult time. And I would say it on a scale of 1 to 10 that it's a 10. It's a very difficult time for this person, a great deal of inner turmoil, a great deal of sadness, a great deal of fear, incredible fear, And the other day, um, I can't remember if it was last night, late, or this morning, she said something, paraphrasing, that she felt very caught in a dark place, like she was sinking. And um, she said something like, don't come here with me. I'm glad you're there in a steady place. And it really affirmed to me that... um, You know, I didn't have to be emotionally charged like her for her to understand how much I cared for her. I could stay in a steady place. In fact, I feel really deeply called to practice equanimity at this time. I feel very vulnerable inside. I also feel sad. I also feel on the edge of tears sometimes. And I, that's there. I can be truthful about that. But I don't have to go to the place of um, being distraught with this person. There's a choice for me. And maybe sometimes I do in my alone times, but I can also stay strong and steady and big-hearted and balanced. She said, I need to know you're on stable ground. 
So with equanimity we can say, I love you, and right now this is how it is, and it's always changing. And so can we bring that kind of love and spaciousness to ourselves, to what we're going through in our practice here and now? Can we release and sow in the heart-mind of this river of life that we are, that seed of equanimity which has so much wisdom, yet so much caring with it? That seed, when it's planted in the fertile soil of the mind and heart, grows. It grows so we're not caught in that small place of limitation where we're so identified with what's going on. Like, there are many times when I feel in my own practice or in my life, it's really awful right now. And what I'm feeling right now will last forever. That's how it feels when we go through it. Because we're so caught in that moment. And it's, it's human. to to feel that way. This is how it is as human beings. And then there's another moment of seeing that it changes. It doesn't always stay that way. It opens to something else, and then something else, and then something else. And with this uh, equanimity that's ever-growing in our hearts and in our minds, we're able to make that place around experience very big, So we don't have to be caught there. We don't have to think that we're always caught there, that we need to always be there. We begin to yield, to surrender to something bigger, to something deeper, to something more universal, to something greater than what's happening just in this moment. I found this other poem that didn't have an author. It sounds like Emily Dickinson or Walt Whitman, but um, sorry, I can't give you the name, but here it is anyway. White seeds are floating out of my burst pod. What power had I before I learned to yield? Shatter me, great wind. I shall possess the field something much greater than that little place that we tend to live in, where we think it's always going to be this little place of fear. It's always going to be this little place of grief. It's always going to be this little place of blame, because we can't hold it ourselves. It changes all the time. We can live in a more open place when we see that, when we realize that deeply. Sometimes opening to that truth of vulnerability is so painful, but it's a message. That pain is a sign. It's not just a sign. It's loud sometimes. It's like a siren. It's asking us to let go. It's asking us to shed the old armor, the ways that have kept us so constricted in this place of something happens and habitual reaction to it is the only place we can live in. It's asking us to let go of that. 
the habits that keep life revolving around the pain, revolving around not seeing the truth of life more deeply. Sometimes it has to get so loud in order for us to hear it, in order for us to consciously cultivate those wholesome, supportive of wisdom qualities of heart and mind, those strengths like loving-kindness, like equanimity, like this bare attention, like compassion. Those qualities that allow us to live with more ease with the conditions of our life. And here in this silent retreat, we're mostly allowing that to come to ourselves. Because when we can really allow it for ourselves and offer it to ourselves, then we can truly offer it to each other. We can offer it from a more genuine place. So this is equanimity, the quality of mind that allows us to move more deeply into life, to live with all the conditions of our life, not just the ones that we prefer or the ones that are comfortable, Most of us come to a spiritual path in order to open to life. And it takes some time to realize that what we're doing is just wanting to open to what's comfortable. But when we want to open, when we have this true wish to open, there has to come with it some kind of willingness to open to everything, not just this but to open to this, to open our hearts fully and embrace everything that's going on within our mind-body continuum. Opening to life is being human. It's living wisely with everything that we are as human beings. I find that when I'm not able to accept what's happening in another It's mostly because I'm not able to accept that it's happening in myself. So I have this tendency to put it out there, maybe because I can see it more clearly. But really, when I take more time with it, I realize it's happening in here. And I'm having a hard time opening to it. Just recognizing that. So can we allow our hearts and minds to open to all, yet to remain gentle, not closed down, not living from a place of closing down when it's hard or striking out when it's hard? The other evening you heard me speak about equanimity as one of the seven factors of purification or awakening, or enlightenment. So it's one of those qualities of mind that we develop along the way as we do our practice of bare attention. It comes quite organically, but sometimes we need to call it forth. Sometimes we need to recognize this is what my practice needs right now. And so we have the practice of equanimity that Sharon spoke about in the four Brahma-viharas, or the four protective emotions, when we may need to call this 
divine emotion forth. So sometimes in my own practice, when I realize that I'm in need of something more spacious, something more balanced, I may say, may I be in this moment with more equanimity. Just a simple phrase to remind me that it's possible to incline the heart and mind to some bigness, to some place that can contain it all without my heart breaking. One of the teachers I studied with, Aya Kema, she talked about this roller coaster of life a lot. And she mentioned once to me that if we had only mindfulness and just these four divine emotions of loving-kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity, this is all we would need to live our lives in a wise way. So very often I try to see what can I bring to this moment in addition to bare attention, to mindfulness? And it may be one of those four divine emotions. And oftentimes, more often than anything else, it's a need to bring more balance of mind to the moment. So equanimity is said to be that wide, spacious balance It's not this precarious balance of being like on a razor's edge, and if you go just this way, you'll fall off, or that way, you'll fall off. But it's this wide, spacious balance. It's like we have a steady stance, so we're not so quickly pushed over by life, by the winds of change. Sometimes people think that this quality of equanimity is like resignation when we say, this is the way it is. So I like to add that, those two words, this is the way it is right now, to remind me that it's always changing, that it's never staying the same. It's not a resignation, it's a recognition that things are the way they are right now and they're always changing. It's allowing. It's allowing oneself. It allows me to open to what's honestly happening, not pushing it away, but to connecting, to connect with it, with a true care. Metta is not absent from this place of balance, from this place of bigness of heart. There's a very deep caring there with it. When I uh, visited one of my teachers, Munindraji, a couple of years ago in India, um, you know, I could see that he too works with the ups and downs of life. And I remember one time we went to this monastery where an old friend, monk friend of his, lives, was the head of the monastery in Sarnath. And so he hadn't seen him for years and years. And so we had sat down and had tea with this older monk. And it was so wonderful to watch them 
come together and their happiness together. And when um, we left the monastery, the old monk walked Manindra not just to the door, Manindra and myself and some friends to the door, but down the street. So we went out of the monastery and they were holding hands. It was so sweet to watch these two older men, one is a monk and one in Manindra in his white robes, just holding hands and exchanging their love for each other, just in their simple words, not saying it outright. And then when they parted, they each cried. And um, Manindra was very quiet after they parted for a while. Manindra had tears and the old monk had tears. And so later down the street, I asked Manindra, how are you? How's it going? In other words, what's going on with you? And he said, parting is dukkha. Parting is suffering, and so there are tears. And, it, and he said that just so flat-out humanly. It wasn't like, no, I'm not going to have any tears because I'm full of equanimity. It was like the tears came, and he was open to that. He was just so fully human about it. But the tears flowed, not, you know, indulging in it in that kind of way, but just like just allowing that and feeling that. It was really sweet. I felt his metta, his compassion, his equanimity all in those moments. It wasn't devoid of any of that. It was full of care. So the actual subjective experience of this place, this big, big container of equanimity, is a still, balanced spaciousness that allows and contains for everything. It's not uh, reactivity. Reactivity is the far enemy of equanimity. But it's a fullness of being with the moment. And it's action with compassion, if that's necessary, with wisdom, if that's necessary. It allows that to happen. We don't become like a doormat to life. We act when we need to. Last year, I had to uh, do something in Italy. I had an engagement, some sharing of this Vipassana with some youngsters there. And um, it was a wonderful place to be in. And on the way out, of Florence, I had to uh, use a train, so we were in the train station. And a girlfriend of mine was with me. And uh, she had a package which included a coffee pot that she had bought for her husband, which was uh, a major gift to him. You know, he wanted this very special coffee pot. So she had it, and she was going to the bathroom, and she said, Would you watch my package? And she put it down beside me, and it was leaning against the wall, and I was just waiting there for her. And so around about me were um, some people, and um, they were kind of watching me, and I was a little bit wondering what was going on, you know. And they looked very innocent in a way. And so when my girlfriend came, she was so excited about something she had to tell me. 
And so she picked up one of her packages but left the other, the coffee pot, with a coffee pot in it. So we were talking and exchanging, and then she realized the coffee pot. And so she looked over to where the wall was where I was standing, and it was gone, but she saw her bag in, uh, on the arms of uh, a woman. That woman was holding a little girl's hand, and the coffee pot bag was slipped between their hands. And she said, it's over there. And I said, well, go get it. <laughs> and she, she just kind of got paralyzed. She, couldn't, she didn't know what to do. And so I went over, I marched over, and I said um, to the woman, this bag is mine. Uh, just to keep it simple. <laughs> and she said, because no, a lot of people no speak English over there, so said, this bag, mine. So she said, no, 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 no. And I said, I looked at her and she said, this bag, mine. And I said, no, 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 no. This bag, mine. And then she started yelling. Roba, roba, roba. Like, I, I guess, kind of no Spanish, so it, like I was robbing her. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. You roba, roba, roba. So she was sort of, I don't know, I stunned her. I don't know what. And so she just looked at me, so I went and I gently took their hands apart and I took the bag and so I said, thank you, and I took the bag back. Then, I didn't hurt anybody. Um, <laughs> but I wasn't a doormat, you know. I didn't just stand there and say, uh, this is how it is right now. <laughs> so you do take action when you need to. You know, I thought about the little girl, like she's watching all of this happen, like this is okay, you know, it's not okay. Um, so I hope that you remember that. <laughs> it's not being a doormat. This practice allows us to stay open, to stay calm, to stay steady, to stay balanced, to know what's going on within us, and to act when we need to. And sometimes, a lot of times, it's to refrain from acting out. Because so much of the time, we act out our anger, we act out our blame, we act out whatever is going on there because we can't see what's going on. There's not enough balance. There's a need maybe for more compassion with that equanimity. Being human, it's really challenging. When there is this open sky of equanimity, it feels wide, it feels inclusive, it feels truthful. It's not pushing anything away. It's not saying, I can't be sad, or I can't be angry. It's totally recognizing it, but not using our energy to disperse it by acting it out. Using all of the energy just to be with it. It's so powerful to do that. Not squashing it, 
but to be with it in a soft, gentle, open-hearted way. We need that so much. When we can do that, it can lead us more deeply into life. It can lead to clarity, to deeper compassion for ourselves and therefore for others. We don't have to fixate on anything that's going on and say that this is going to last forever. It's likened to the sky a lot that contains everything but doesn't push anything away. It doesn't push anything away, it doesn't resist, nor does it cling to anything. The sky just allows whatever is arising in it to be in it. It has that kind of feeling within. I, I had that um, real visceral experience of that and a vision I hold very deeply, which reminds me of that, is that time when I visited Manindraji in India. And I visited him because our teachers are getting old and I wanted to spend some time with this particular teacher. I never know, you never know what's going to happen. The last time I talked to him, he said, the mind is okay, but the body is not cooperating. You know, so I went to visit him. And one memorable time with him was the last day I spent with him. One of the things that he really wanted was for me to uh, go down this river, the Ganges, with him. Because alongside the river, there are these burning ghats, and they sometimes you're able to see very closely what's happening. And this is a great teaching, to be able to be very, very close to death. It's one of the greatest teachings that one could have a sacred teaching. So before dawn, and on the last day in India, we were in this very ancient city of Varanasi. And so we rented a boat, uh, some friends, myself, Manindra. And it was a very clear and warm morning. And it was before dawn when we took the boat out onto the river. And this place where we boarded the boat It's like you can't see on the other shore any land. On the far shore is just the horizon. Water and then the horizon. And so we went out on the boat and as we were going down the river on the left side, on the far horizon, was this incredible beauty of the sun rising over the water. This kind of golden globe shining ball in the sky that lit everything up before it actually peaked over the horizon and just very slowly coming up. And on the other side, there were these burning ghats on the side of the river, and we were quite close to that. And so you could see the the grieving of the people and the the hardship that people were were having because of this part of life, which is death. And beside me, I felt so grateful to have, maybe for the last time in person, one of my dear teachers and some of my dear friends. There was a happiness of that. 
yet the sadness that I could open to on the one side of seeing the people with their family and loved ones and the beauty of the great sun rising over the river. And on the other side, you would see the despair that's so apparent in India, the rawness of India, which is in its own way quite beautiful. The poor and the destitute, the beauty and the rawness. And I wondered, you know, can my heart hold it all? Can it open to everything? Not just choose, I just want to be here with the sun, or not drowned in seeing the poor and the homeless. Can my heart open to it all and contain it all? That was my practice during that time. And I didn't feel like I was successful every moment. I could feel the heart tugging over here, wanting to be where it was beautiful, just being next to Manindraji, and tugging over there and drowning in the sorrow and sometimes feeling the bigness of it all and being contained in it all. It's said that equanimity rests the mind before it falls into extremes. So it goes here on one side and it goes there on one side, but somehow it comes back to rest even for a few moments. And then it may go to one side and another, and then it comes back to rest in a kind of balance for another few moments. And it's really important to recognize that in our practice, when there is that balance, when there is that spaciousness, because oftentimes we get fixated on what's not right in our practice, either in here or out there. We get really fixated on that, and we don't allow ourselves to see what's happening that's beautiful in our practice. The moments that we can open to it all and be okay. It's quite a deep balance when we're not fixated on praise or on blame, on gain or loss, on joy or sorrow, on fame or disrepute. When we can say, yeah, this is how it is right now talking about praise and blame, when I was in Burma, there was, uh, this happened all within a morning. I was sitting in the morning early, and someone came right up to me, and they were coming up to quite a few people, and just taking pictures with the flash, you know, and uh, this happens in Burma. People, people, people even bring video cameras, and they videotape you as you're sitting or walking. <laughs> Um, and it's just how it is. So someone took a picture of me, and then later on I was walking to interview, and I said, people take pictures when they come here. I was kind of questioning someone, that uh, one of the nuns, and she said, oh yes, and she was kind of, uh, kind of kidding, kind of serious, and she said, Probably it's because you look so peaceful that they took a picture of you. You were not moving. And I said, "Uh uh-huh. And I thought, well, praise. And then then I went to my interview with Upandita. And 
one of the first things was he said that he said to me was stop moving so much <laughs> in your sitting and i thought i wonder if somebody came into the hall there's somebody who kind of watches that everything is going all right and it was a time when i was really restless and so said that to upandita so he told me stop moving so much and i was going to explain and i thought but i don't move all the time and it was only that time but i just thought this is how it is praise and blame <laughs> i could have looked at it as blame but it was actually a way of helping me so this is how it goes there are these ups and downs of life can we be with that without getting lost anywhere without getting locked in anywhere can we bring the vastness of equanimity around it it said that the far enemy of equanimity is reactivity sometimes it's called partiality because either if something happens that is pleasant we react with attachment if something happens that is unpleasant we react with aversion and so there's this kind of habitual tendency to just fall into that old mode and one of the things we can do with the practice of equanimity is bring it to these places of reactivity and to notice that this is happening there is aversion there is resistance there is impatience there is judgment there is criticism or there is joy there is bliss there are pleasant feelings in the body that we tend to want to stay with hold on to when there isn't any of this what we're left with is more clarity when there isn't this filter of reactivity that we see life through then we can be more clear with what's going on we can be more truthful we can rest the mind before it falls into extremes this is from achan sumedo the mind is like space there is room in it for everything or nothing we always have a perspective once we know the space of the mind armies can come and go and leave butterflies rain clouds or nothing at all all things can come and go through without us being caught in reaction or resistance this is our practice of letting go we're able to let go when we can have this spacious still balance of equanimity if not it's like just being in that old habitual groove of reactivity the near enemy is passivity it's when we just don't do anything at all we get frozen or we get kind of implode sometimes with guilt about what's going on there are different ways that we get kind of can't do anything seeing all of this happen brings clarity we can't be 
just uh, doormats to reactivity or passivity. It's to bring a measure of equanimity to those places also. So there can be poise, decisiveness, pliancy, buoyancy, grace in our practice. We don't have to feel paralyzed about it. We don't have to be dramatic. We live in this society that there's a lot of intensity and we tend to be, um, somebody said, drama, intensity junk- junkies. You know, We like intensity unless it's intense it's not real. Equanimity can be powerful. It doesn't have to have intense kind of emotion in order for something to work. It's a very, very powerful stillness, balance. We feel very steady in that balance. Emily Dickinson says in one of her poems, Futile the winds to a heart in port. Futile the winds to a heart in port. So in our practice, it allows our understanding to deepen. It allows this roller coaster of life to be open to, yet not to feel beaten down by lost in, drowning in, falling off of, just very, very steady. There's a story about the roller coaster that when I remember this, and this is a story about um, my third daughter. She's in her 30s now, but when she was a little girl, um, she has an older brother, and an older sister. And when she was quite young, three or four, and her brother and sister were seven or eight or eight or nine, something like that, uh, we were at a place where they had a roller coaster. And the brother and sister wanted to go on that roller coaster. I didn't. I would have let them go. But she wanted to go to my little girl, Tracy. And so she said, could we please go? I really want to go. And she wanted to be brave, just like her brother and sister. So I was, frankly, not so happy to do this, but I went with her anyway. So the brother and sister sat in front, and they were always kind of uh, competing with each other on who could be the best of this, who could be the strongest, and who could be the smartest, or the fastest, or the bravest, or whatever. So they were sitting in the front, and Tracy and I were sitting in back of them. And so we started going up on this roller coaster. And as we were going up to the top, you know how on a roller coaster you get to the top and people start letting go of the bars and they start putting their hands up. So when they roll down, you roll down with your hands up and kind of not holding on, letting go. So we got up to the top and my uh, older son, the older son and sister, started doing that, letting go. And I could see Tracy's hands just holding on so tightly to the bars. And she looked over at me, and she started to let go of one hand. And she was kind of asking me, 
come on, Mom, let go. <laughs> so, so I started to let go myself, and then she let go of the other one, and so I let go of the other one too. And then she put her hands up, and I put my hands up too, and then we went down the roller coaster and up again. And it was so exhilarating and so freeing not to hold on, just to let go. Down and up again, down and up again. And that's a kind of sense we can have, that sense of steadiness and strength and trust on this roller coaster of life. So let's sit for a moment. for listening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.